Welcome to the Two Are Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, Jim. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. How was your weekend? You know, um, overall it was good, but we're uh, experiencing a little bit of a COVID outbreak here in the seminary, so we've got a number of guys that are um, positive, so they're being quarantined and... uh, but so far, for me, it's been okay. How are they feeling? Uh, various levels of symptoms and discomfort. So, yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Well, we're, we're recording this late because we had technical difficulties when we did this on Saturday. So I right. appreciate you coming in at the last minute and redoing and pretending it was all spontaneous that we <laughs> talked about before. Hey, anything for you. <laughs> so... Um, I uh, ran into uh, Laura Sobiak at Mass. Uh, I hope she wasn't week. hurt. Well, <laughs> it's true. There's some girth to me. That was a fat joke, I know. <laughs> no, you're, there's a lot of muscle on you. So the, the parish that I, I belong to is a pretty small parish. And I don't know a lot of people at this parish because mm-hmm. we just joined a little while ago. And Yeah. Uh, with COVID and everything, I mean, it's all up in the air. But anyway, so I see Laura Sobiak, who is the author of um, uh, Clouds, the book. Um, yeah. And uh, the movie that was just made and released on, on Disney Plus about her son, Zach. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I see Laura, and um, I haven't seen her in a few years, and we're, we're catching up. She's in, I don't, you tell me if this is rude or not. Um, but she was in line for confession after mass, and I just come up and start, you know, chatting her up. Is that that's probably inappropriate? That's, I should probably just leave people alone when they're <laughs> in line for confession. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe she was already prepared. You know, hopefully, fully. hopefully, hopefully, I didn't. Uh, Hopefully you weren't another, you know, cause yeah. for... Yeah, no, I don't know. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned because I really want to kill Jim Pellis. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time no. that's been confessed. So, um, but I'm, I'm catching up with her a little bit, and she's talking about the movie release and uh, the wonderful uh, reception that it's, it's gotten. And then she tells me that there's a TikTok challenge going on right now. Mm. Are you familiar with these TikTok challenges? No. So young people um, put together these uh, challenges that are usually like harmful in some way to, and then they'll put them up and then people, like there was a Tide Pod challenge. It was like, that's insane. Like people would like bite down on the Tide Pod or something ridiculous like that. There was one challenge when I was uh, Mm. teaching that um, had something to do with putting salt in your hand and then. Uh, holding onto a snowball or something, and it would burn the skin off. Mm-hmm. It. It's just crazy stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, what was, what's the TikTok challenge dealing with clouds? She goes, oh, the, 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 the challenge is to get through the entire movie without crying. Oh. And I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> that, that can't be done. Oh. I mean, I think I was... Probably within like the first ten minutes of the movie, I started blubbering. But I'm a big wuss. I, I I literally went through like two boxes of Kleenex reading her book. Yikes! So, anyway, yeah. But it was All nice right. to see her. And 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 if you haven't seen the movie, if you haven't read the book, uh, go out and do that because mm-hmm. 
She's good, folks. And the story is really mm-hmm. wonderful. Anyway, Great. Father, um, we'll pretend that this is all new and I don't know what we're talking about. What would you like to talk about this week? Gee, let me think for a second. Um, well, how about we talk about the Incarnation, given that Christmas is right around the corner. We just uh, had Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent. And so we know that uh, our Savior is coming soon. And so... How about talking about the meaning of the incarnation? I like that. Excellent. Were you in? Uh, did you did you have pink vestments? You know, I didn't. The parish where I help out on the weekends, the pastor uh, doesn't really apparently consider the rose vestments to be so cool. So I did not have them. But we did have that third rose candle, of course, that we lit on the Advent wreath. What? We, the, um, even though we, uh, St. Michael's is a small parish, but it was actually at St. Mary's last night. We had their oh. sister parishes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the priest had um, the rose vestments on, and I, I said, nice. Father, you look good in pink. And he goes, um, I'm wearing rose. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I didn't correct you. I just, <laughs> I just used rose. I didn't correct your <laughs> use of the word pink. I just, I don't know much difference between rose and pink, apparently. That's okay. Uh, yes, let's talk about the uh, about the incarnation. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, let's see. I mean, I guess where I would start is uh, this is certainly one of those fundamental Christian beliefs that you know if you don't accept it, it's hard to really call yourself a Christian. I think because uh, we believe that roughly two thousand years ago, uh, as the Trinity uh, considered the state of the human race and the world, which was fallen and kind of falling headlong into hell, you might say. I mean, we were very distant from God. We, uh, we were all infected by original sin and really had no way out. It's sort of like the image I have is we were sinking in quicksand and we had no branch to grab onto, nothing to pull us out. And so in their great love and mercy, uh, the Trinity decided that they would save us in a very particular way, and that is to send the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, uh, to take on our human nature, to uh, actually uh, wrap our flesh around himself and to live a human life uh, perfectly. And, um, and by doing so, and ultimately by being nailed to the cross for our sins, uh, putting those sins uh, to a final destruction and and uh, killing death, as it were, uh, he affected our salvation. So a lot um, hangs on the fact that God uh, stepped into this broken, messy world of ours to redeem it and to save it. And so um, as we celebrate Christmas this year and have all the, the kind of sentimental trappings, you know, and we look at the little baby Jesus in the crib, and all of that's beautiful, but we, we can't divorce that from the fact that that was just the beginning of his human life, which culminated in a very uh, torturous and uh, bloody death. But again, it's all out of love, and it's all for our salvation. So I like the imagery of the, the, the three parts of the Trinity having a convo about yeah, this. Yeah. And yep. like, I, do, you, do you think they drew straws on like, who's going to go? <laughs> Um, well, probably not. I, I don't. <laughs> being God, I think they probably didn't need to, no, uh, you know, didn't. roll dice or draw straws. You, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think you're right. I think that's it. That was a silly thought. 
Well, uh, and, and, one, and one of the reasons I, came, I had that image is because St. Ignatius, my uh, the founder of the religious order I belong to, the Jesuits, um, he uh, has this meditation in his spiritual exercises retreat where the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, kind of gaze upon the world together. And, and there's, you know, the retreat is even invited to imagine this conversation that might ha- happen among the persons of the Trinity where they, they decide to, um, to effect our salvation by sending the Son down to uh, to earth, you know, to take on a human nature. So, yeah, that's kind of where that comes from in my own thinking. One of the things that you mentioned the first time that we, and you know, uh, the the first version of this podcast, you talked about how um, that uh, that that they wanted to provide an example to all of us of the best, the the the, the fullest possible way to live. Which I think is fantastic that they're sitting around. And they're like, well, well, let's just give them a really good example here. And mm. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, Jesus comes and does and then that. Jesus comes and he does that exactly. So yeah, I think I might have mentioned that we we talk about Jesus uh, being God in the flesh and being fully human, and and I think we can emphasize both the word fully and the word human. So. He's fully human in the sense that he has everything that makes up a human nature. So he has a, a real human body. He's not a ghost. This is a real body that can bleed, that can suffer, uh, that can you know cry tears. Uh, he's got a, a real, true, authentic human heart that can feel the whole range of emotions that we feel. He's got a human intellect, and that intellect had to be you know formed and developed. He didn't uh, have you know he wasn't able to do calculus at age you know one week. I mean he had to grow and develop in his human nature the way we do. Um, He's got a human soul as well. And uh, so all the things that make us human, uh, he he has. The only thing he's lacking, thank God, is sin. Uh, he, He lives his human nature perfectly. So we can say he's fully human in that sense. He's got all the faculties, all the capabilities of a human being, but he's also fully human. Uh, and we emphasize the word fully there, uh, that goes to what you were saying, is, is he's perfectly human. He's the full model of what it means to be a human being. And so he's really what we were, if we want to go back to the beginning when God created us, you know, he intended us to have a humanity that was not uh, tarnished and broken by sin. So I was, um, I was, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine this weekend who just finished up doing the consecration to St. Joseph. He finished mm-hmm. it up last week. Um, on the feast day of St. Mary uh, Laredo. Okay. Um, and uh, he was, we were sharing, uh, sharing the whole experience. And, and so, by the way, um, so Archbishop Hebda uh, consecrated the whole archdiocese to uh, St. Joseph right. on Immaculate Conception. And um, the, your guy, our guy, but, you know, he's a Jesuit, so he's mm. your guy. Um, is uh, saying that uh, t- uh, 2021 is what? Now, wait, who, who, which guy are we talking about? Pope Francis. Oh, okay. <laughs> that well, one. Yeah, the, that the guy. The Jesuit, yeah. that guy. <laughs> okay. I thought you knew where I was going. I'm sorry. No, I didn't, I didn't really know. So. No, I, it's, it's probably my fault. But what, okay. Pope Francis is... <sighs> Consecrating the world to St. Joseph. There you go. It's going to be the year of St. Joseph. The year of St. Joseph. That begins when? On, does it begin on the Feast of St. Joseph? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know the deets on that. I just okay. know that that's what the kids say instead of details. Um, but <laughs> so back to getting back to the incarnation. I'm sorry. It was taking us way far off topic. I'm just super excited about that. 
Sure. Um, but he was talking about how um, Joseph, the thing that he really uh, connected with, with Joseph and he's being a father, that Joseph would be there to, you know, uh, he, he knows what uh, Jesus' yawn is or Jesus' sneeze would sound like or mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's interesting because that's not anything that I've ever considered. Like, would Jesus actually have a cause to sneeze? I don't know. Maybe, maybe in a little dust. Um, you know, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about that myself. But, um, but it is true that as his foster father and Mary as his uh, mother um, would have certainly had a huge influence on, on Jesus's own human development, just right. like our parents do. And so I like to imagine, um, you know, this isn't really recorded in the scriptures, of course, but we can imagine Jesus uh, as a boy, you know, working side by side with Joseph in the carpenter shop or just being held by Mary and, you know, told stories and maybe helping her out in the kitchen and uh, whatever, you know, whatever daily life would have been like in Nazareth at that time, Jesus would have uh, participated in that. And he would have had cousins and playmates and would have played the, the typical games of their childhood. And so we, yeah, it can be neat actually in our prayer to, to imagine Jesus at various stages of his life before the age of 30. Um, just, you know, again, the hidden life we call it, but, but it would have been um, very much a life typical of uh, the, the place and the time in which he was living. And, and all of that would have uh, shaped him, you know, shaped his humanity and shaped his masculinity in particular. So um, those are things that we can certainly ponder. And uh, yeah, it brings his humanity to life for us, you know, that he's fully, not, yeah, yeah, fully human. Right. And you don't consider these things when you're thinking about Jesus. It's, no, we you know because we don't have anything really written about it, and we tend to just you know focus on his uh, the last three years of his life, which are recorded in the Gospels. Even that is only as a snippet, of course, of what he would have said and done. But nonetheless, we yeah the first thirty years because they're kind of shrouded in mystery, um, we tend not to really meditate on them. But uh, it can be very beautiful to do so, and can help help us to relate to him more in his humanity you know that's one of the neat things i think from god's perspective he could have saved us saved us i suppose any way he wanted but what a beautiful thing that he chose to actually you know close the gap between himself and ourselves and it wasn't incredible you know one of the things we want to emphasize i think in the podcast today is just it's hard for us to fathom how incredibly um humbling it is for god i mean this is god you know the all-powerful one the eternal one he, he, I mean, the, the, the extent of humility involved in actually becoming a human being. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's I mean, imagine the smallest, uh, weakest creature, like an ant or something. And, you know, imagine that, like, oh, I want to go down and kind of experience the ant world. Well, I'm going to go and become a little ant myself. I mean, that's, that would already be a huge, you know, a huge act of conde- uh, condescension for us, you know, to become an ant. But what God does in becoming a, hum- a human being is even you know, infinitely more uh, humbling. Uh, and he doesn't just become a human being, he becomes a baby who is totally dependent on other human beings for survival. And then this holy family has to flee, you know, into Egypt to escape uh, a massacre. And then uh, at the end of his life, he's, you know, subject to the worst torturous death imaginable. I mean, so there, he makes himself weak and vulnerable all the way along. So, yeah, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful reality that we're really talking about today. And we didn't talk about this uh, pre-podcast, uh, but 
uh, and I should have brought this up, but how do you, what, what would your take be on how um, uh, being a faithful person um, changed? Um, what, what was it like pre-incarnation and post-incarnation? Like the, the definition of being a faithful person obviously has to, um, uh, also has to grow and change at that point, doesn't it? You mean for us as human beings to be faithful to God? Right. I mean, I'm thinking, and you, I'm just going to give you my impression on this, and then yeah. you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but prior to Christ's birth, um, if uh, you know, if if the the Israelites uh, were to be faithful, there was a lot of rules that needed to be followed. There was a lot of mosaic laws mm-hmm. that need that were considered. I think there was like. Four or five hundred mosaic laws that had come mm-hmm. to fruition by that point, and and that's how they knew that they were being a good Jew was mm-hmm. they were following the rules, and then Christ comes along, and he doesn't he doesn't diminish the rules in any way, shape, or form, but you know he his the incarnation of, of God in flesh, and the two major rules that he shares at the end of his ministry is, you know, love God above mm-hmm. all things and then love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's like a whole new... Am I, am I off on that? That seems like a, a pretty... Um, um, I think you're on target. I mean, I would say he does, in some sense, diminish those mosaic rules to the extent... I mean, he says himself, you know, I, not one iota of the law will be changed, but what he's... But he's trying to make them interior, you know, and I think uh, the problem was by the time Jesus uh, came on the scene is that a lot of the uh, Jewish uh, religious leaders were obsessed with, you know, these, like you said, I think there's 300 and some laws that they had to follow. And it was all about just observing those laws. And I think the heart was kind of far from God for them. And so Jesus, uh, you know, he, he, in some ways, he broke some of those laws externally but he fulfilled them all with respect to their intent and purpose, which was, like you said, to love God and to love neighbor. Sometimes the religious authorities, in their obsession or scrupulosity about observing the law, actually uh, did uncharitable or unloving things with respect to the neighbor and, um, and kind of ignored the neighbor's need and, and situation and circumstances. So I think that was the big change for me, is that Jesus helps us to realize that any religious law or command is not so much an end in itself, it's a means to this end of loving, loving God and loving neighbor. I think as a lot of people look at Catholicism, especially even more than other Christian um, denominations, I think Catholicism is often, you know, kind of ridiculed or, or, or put in a bad light because of all the seeming, you know, laws we follow and whether it's liturgical laws and moral laws. You know, and we do have a lot of them, but again, um, their their goal is love, and and that's why you know we too we can fall into that same trap of a lot of people do. We do right. A lot of people do. They get obsessed with the externals, and then you kind of forget what it's all about. So that's what I think is the danger with any religion, or at least any religion that has a certain you know formal structure to it. Um, we need laws, you know, just like in society. I mean, you know, we can't be living in a good democracy without lots of laws, but those laws are meant to serve uh, a higher purpose. And sometimes, you know, we talk about civil disobedience or sometimes certain laws need to be broken um, or not followed if they're not, you know, if they get in the way of their purpose. So anyway, 
I, I mean, but we we both, and you probably see this more than I do, but the, there are people that we know that are just like, you know, if I go to mass and if I uh, put some mm -hmm. in the basket and mm -hmm. then I've um, Maybe during Lent I give up, uh, you yeah, know, give up I, uh, this or that. I quit know. drinking during Lent and right. I, I don't cheat on my wife and I, then I'm good. I got everything covered. And that's, that would be rule following. That would mm -hmm. be, uh, that would be, yeah. That, that wouldn't uh, contain the essence of um, what the incarnation is trying to teach us. Right, right, exactly. So you know, we can we can ex we can follow the rules, uh, check make kind of a checklist and check them off, but not with our really our heart being involved. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's always a danger. I think of any organized religion, and um, you know, ultimately, I mean, I think what we're celebrating at Christmas is the fact that God is so crazily in love with us that rather than just kind of wash his hands of the human project and just say, well, that was kind of an, a failed attempt. We tried, you know, but these these creatures are just beyond redemption. Right. Instead of that, you know, they said, no, you know, this um, this world is broken as it is. It's, it's, it's also a beautiful world uh, and a good world, and we want to find a way to bring uh, our children, our sons and daughters, back to us. So so, you know, I think one of the things that we can struggle with, at least I can struggle with, is here we are in 2020 and we look out on the world and we wonder, you know, is the world really any different than it was before Jesus came? You know, there's still lots and lots of evil and sin. And, and so it, it can seem on the surface like Jesus' incarnation and even his, you know, his death and resurrection didn't really change anything. But then when you think about the last 2,000 years, you think about, you know, all the lives that have been touched because of, Jesus Christ, all the saints, and by that I don't, I don't mean just the famous canonized ones, but just all the invisible saints, the people, you know, who have lived very good and holy lives because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and you look at the world of culture, you know, all the, the beautiful churches, the, the, the muse, sacred music. I mean, so really, yeah, the world still is sinful. It's, it's still fallen, but we have hope because we know that God has saved us in Jesus Christ and that the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, all of that has truly changed the world. It's changed the possibilities for the human race. And, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of goodness and truth and beauty in the world today that would not, would not exist if it were not for the incarnation. When I was doing youth ministry, um, I had a student come up to me once and be like, well, Jim, why did, uh, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Could he have, like, if, he's, if his death could save all of us uh, from our sins, couldn't he have, like, choked on a ham sandwich or something? And um, then immediately she, like, walked out the door, like, you know, because kids don't focus very well sometimes. But it really got mm -hmm. me thinking um, about the whole idea of, you know, well, yeah, he's God, and, and he could have uh, redeemed humanity in a multiple different ways, and it didn't necessarily have to be on the cross. But why did he choose to do it on the cross? This was an intentional choice. Mm -hmm. And why did he choose to be at this time in history? And, and as I looked into it, um, I came to the realization that the crucifixion was um, the most painful, the most stressful, and an incredibly humiliating way to be put to death. But the most painful way to be put to death in all of human history. Like the mm -hmm. Romans were really good at pleasure and they were exceptionally good at torture. Mm -hmm. 
And um, actually, I think they stole it from the Persians, but let's not quibble over, <laughs> you know, the bicker and argue about this. But right. um, the, the, the thing about it that, that I connect with is that um, we as people um, have a tendency, we, we can empathize with other people, but we have an easier time empathizing with other people if we have a shared experience with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my, my father um, is going through uh, is Alzheimer's. He's suffering from Alzheimer's right now. And uh -huh. it's, 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 it's a terrible, terrible illness. And um, it's a struggle to try to um, walk through this, especially with him so far away in Arizona mm -hmm. and we're here. Um, and there's lots of people who love me and support me and it's just like, I'm there for you. But then when I find somebody who's like, whose parents have also gone through Alzheimer's, it's like, well, there's a connection that I can have right there. Yep. Yep. And now with God coming on this earth, being born, being hungry, being thirsty, being tired, um, living through all the, the struggles that we go through and then suffering the worst death in history, mm -hmm. he puts himself in a place where he can, people, he, and he does that for us because we don't, he, you know, he doesn't need to experience that to be able to feel absolute love for us. But right. we can feel more connected by the fact that there's a shared experience or like right. if it's not even a shared experience, it's like, well, what you experienced was far worse. Right. Um, so, you know, we can connect through uh, through that shared suffering. Yeah, no, that's completely it's an excellent point, you know, that we as Christians really proclaim a God who knows everything from within that we go through, you know, and like you said, he experiences a lot of it at a greater depth or, you know, to a greater degree. But, yeah, any temptation, too, you know, not just suffering, but uh, although he didn't sin, Jesus was tempted and had to, you know, take on the devil, as it were. So when we're tempted, we, you know, we can say to Jesus, you've been here, you know, help me in this. Um, and any, any suffering, any hurt that we're experiencing, any pain, uh, basically, we can know with great confidence that Jesus um, understands it from within. And so um, that's a very comforting uh, reality for many of us, you know, that God is not aloof from our suffering. He's not even just like sympathizing, but can really empathize in a way, you know. And, and that includes death, you know, that when we, um, when we mourn the death of a loved one, when we face uh, when we face a fear of death, which I think, you know, even if we have deep faith, there are times that death can really frighten us. Well, remember Jesus in the garden, sweating blood, you know, saying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, you know, but your will be done. I mean, he agonized when he considered his own death, and the fact that he went through that experience of death means that, you know, even that greatest of evils for us, um, we, can, we can turn to God with great, you know, confidence, knowing that he's, he's been there. So that, that's, I don't, I can't think, you know, there is no other religion that views God in that same way, uh, so close to us, so right. intimately united to all of our human experiences. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And the death thing, uh, the death thing, well, well, <laughs> well said, Jim. Um, but his, his, Joseph died, and, and he could have easily prevented that if he wanted mm -hmm. to. But he didn't. And, and there, there's no way that he didn't, uh, grieve that loss with his mother. I'm right. sure he did. Of sure course he did. did. I mean, if he, we know that it's recorded that he grieved the death of Lazarus, right. who's a good friend. And so, of course, his own 
his own foster father, he would have definitely grieved that as well. Well, you know, you know and, and as you say that, that makes me think, too, that we should highlight that how exactly this divine nature and this human nature are lived out in the one person of Jesus Christ is a great mystery to us. I mean, we, we don't really fully understand that. We, we can sort of eliminate certain possibilities, so we know it's not like Jekyll and Hyde, where he's kind of God by day, and then when the sun sets, he kind of reverts back to just being a mere human being. Um, it's not like he's 50-50, you know, half God, half human being. So we, we can eliminate all, all these possibilities, but, but like how exactly at every moment is his divinity and his humanity lived out and experienced, you know, that's a great mystery. And, um, you know, it's clear that his divinity doesn't sort of like override his humanity to such an extent that he doesn't feel, you know, like we've said, the, the pain uh, of life. Uh, it's not like, um, you know, his, his divinity is just sort of like always present and the humanity is just kind of like a fake or a background experience. You don't know. Um, uh, but, but, but he's never without his divinity either. And, and I think we said in, in the previous podcast, we were talking about how at certain points in history, you know, Christians are tempted to overemphasize one nature or another. So, you know, maybe in more modern times, we like to think about Jesus as just this good Jew. And we, you know, in our effort to like help us grasp his humanity, we focus almost exclusively on his humanity. And we forget that he's also God. He's also, you know, able to read hearts. He's able to work miracles. Maybe in former eras, uh, his divinity was so prominent that we kind of lost sight of the fact that He's also fully human, and, and so there, there are the limitations that his humanity uh, kind of puts on him uh, because, he, because he fully chooses to embrace it. So again, how those two natures work in tandem is kind of beyond our full comprehension, but it's important to hold them together in a certain tension and not dissolve the tension by just grasping onto one nature or the other. I think that it can be kind of easy... Um, to just focus, at least for me, I'll just take ownership of this. I think it's really easy to just kind of focus on the divine nature and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, pay less attention to the human nature. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when you think about, like, if you just think about ourselves, now we're not divine and human, but, but our humanity combines some pretty different um, aspects. So we, you know, we have a mortal part of ourselves. We have a body that we have to feed with food and drink, it's subject to the laws of gravity, it's gonna die. So we have this mortal part of us, but we also have an immortal part of us. We have a soul that will never die, that is gonna live forever in heaven or in hell. So how do we combine you know, a, a mortal and an immortal part? Um, you know, um, we're, we're kind of a, a very complex, mysterious being too. And, uh, and so you know, to that extent, we can at least, you know, Maybe by extension, we can say, okay, Jesus combines these two different natures. I'm not quite sure how. Um, it's mysterious to me, but they're both really important in the same way that my, my mortal and my immortal elements live together in this, in this human person that I call Rob Kroll. But how, that, how they go together all the time, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a difficult thing to pinpoint. Right. What else, Jim? What else should we talk about here? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think we've kind of we truncated it down, and we got to the, the salient to the points in this whole thing. Do you have something of uh, stuff that we like? 
Sure. For we, still the, haven't, we still haven't gotten that, we don't that have email name. to clarify. No, that. we've gotten, we, we haven't. Did I read the emails that we got this week to you? Did I read them? Did I forward those off to you? Uh, yeah, I, I, there, there were so many I haven't really gotten around to reading all of them. But um, Well, the, the thing we like that I'm going to highlight this week is uh, something uh, called Homeboy Industries. And uh, I want to trace this back to a Jesuit named Father Greg Boyle, and you know him as well. You've read Tattoos on the Heart, which is a, a wonderful uh, book in which he talks about his experience, and we'd encourage anybody listening to, to pick it up and read it. But Father Greg has worked for many years with uh, gang members in Los Angeles, and over the years, this has really mushroomed into a whole enterprise. There's a, a tattoo removal business because these gang members, when they want to get out of gangs and kind of get their life in order and move into a, a nice uh, field of employment, often the tattoos are kind of a scary um, uh, thing that gets in the way of their, their you know job interview and everything. So there's a tattoo removal business, but all kinds of different things that they do. Um, but, uh, in fact, I think there's about 10,000 former gang members that have come through this homeboys industry, um, project, but they have on their website, uh, some articles for sale. They sell clothing with their logo on it. They sell baked goods and other food items. And, um, so if, if our listeners were to go to just homeboy, H-O-M-E-B-O-Y, industries, plural, dot com, uh, they would find uh, this website and, and be able to, to support the cause. So it's really, it's really worthwhile. You can get cookies from a former gangbanger. <laughs> Something like that. I love uh, that imagery. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Actually, you know what? I think I said homeboyindustries.com, and I, I need to correct myself. It's homeboyindustries.org. Ah. They're an organization. So. Yeah, don't go to the dot-com site. That don't go to the dot-com. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Um, good enough. It's uh, Yeah, the book's really good. I listened to, um, uh, what was his name again? Father? Uh, Father Greg Boyle. Father yeah. Boyle. Um, it, uh, it, he was being interviewed, and it was, uh, it was a really compelling interview. Mm-hmm. This guy mm-hmm. is uh, uh, passionate about what he's doing. And, you know, he's, he's a great model for us because he has experienced, over the years, working with these gang members, he's experienced firsthand so much tragedy. I mean, there's been a lot of success stories, but there's also stories of, you know, guys who get out of these gangs and begin to turn their lives around, and then they're, like, gunned down, you know, by some uh, enemy gang member or something. And, and he's, had, he's had innumerable funerals of these young, mostly young men, uh, who are, you know, dying because of their gang activity. But at the same time, he's a man of great hope and love. And, uh, and so he hasn't been, you know, jaded by this, but he's, he's, yeah, I think he's just a great Christian witness in, in, in how God can bring life out of literally death, you know, over and over again. So. And, and, and he is uh, related to Susan Boyle, the, oh, the, from the, the singer. What's the show? What was the show she she was on? Yeah, I think she won it. What was it? I don't. I don't think. I don't think this is true. No, it's not true. I don't think it's true either. <laughs> She's Irish or English or something. Yes. No. no she, what was that show? I forget. I remember. Yeah, she won and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she, Simon Cowell just loves Simon, her. I know. And, and probably would really like uh, Father Boyle's uh, <laughs> uh, ministry as well. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't get through an entire episode without being a <laughs> smart aleck. That's okay. <sighs> All right. You want to you wanna, uh, lead us in prayer, Father? And... I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you glory today with our lives. We ask you to continue to guide us during this season of Advent so that we can make more room in the inn of our own hearts and souls for the coming of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, please help us uh, as we welcome more of your grace into our lives to also give birth to you, to those around us, to share you and share your good news with our families and friends and coworkers. Uh, may our Christmas uh, this year be truly um, joyous, despite all of the hardship uh, that we face at this time of year, especially because of this pandemic. And so just help us, Jesus, um, to be witnesses, uh, joyful witnesses of your incarnation and your presence in the world. Blessed Mother Mary, we also quickly turn to you and ask for your maternal care and protection. Wrap your mantle around us. Protect us especially from any spiritual harm that our enemy wishes to uh, inflict upon us or any lies that he wishes to whisper to us. We ask all these many things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. All right, folks. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a good week. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.